Hello, everybody. I hope you are well. This is Nashville Demystified. I am Alex Steed. Every week we talk with a relatively new Nashvillian about something I'd like to understand further and then talk with someone who's been here longer and presumably an expert in that arena. I'm visiting my home state, which is Maine, which is even in June crisp and a little cold. Point being, there is no new Nashvillian in this episode with the exception myself, but that is not entirely true. It is a little complicated. First though, you should know that Nashville Demystified is a production of Knack Factory, which is a commercial content and video production firm with offices in Nashville. And we own this town, which is a collection of podcasts made by podcasters based right here as well. Today's guest is Veronica Cavas. She is a writer and educator and private investigator. We talk about her uh, youth in Nashville and the Nashville of today. I say it's complicated, or I said that up front, because Veronica was our new Nashvillian in our episode about the Bell Court. But that term or its definition is pretty fluid based on who you ask. Veronica spent her childhood and young adulthood here, so she really is from the city. Uh, she talks lovingly of seeing kids here when she was a teenager and the sense of excitement that came from realizing the film's writer, Harmony Corinne was a fellow weirdo from right here, but especially in a city that is changing as quickly as this one is, one can be a native and a longtime resident, then go away for a little bit and come back feeling like a bit of an alien. This is increasingly how I feel anytime I return to my native Maine, particularly its fast growing city, Portland. As I have with a handful of other folks in the show, we talk about the ways Nashville is changing and those complicated feelings that come with that change. In retrospect, I'm bummed we didn't talk about her work as a private investigator, but we do touch on her having written for Nashville Scene and her work as a writer overall. She's presently writing a book about the city that focuses heavily on populations of Nashville that don't immediately get identified when the city is portrayed in popular media. Her parents' background is a heavy influence on why this subject is an interesting one for her, and we will talk about that quite a lot here. The conversation is a fun one, but first... Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. Consider giving a review if you can, sharing with a friend. We're on Instagram and Twitter at Nashville Demystified. We're on the Chafing Hemorrhoid that is Facebook. If you have any feedback that you want to send to me directly or ideas for future shows, you can reach me at podcast at knackfactory.com, which is a complicated one. Get ready. That is podcast at knack-factory.com. All right. Let's talk with Veronica. How long have you been in Nashville? Um, I'm from here, but I moved back in January of last year. Right on. Yeah. It's the New York. Yeah. The New York uh, number. I yeah, I moved to New York in um, 2007. Seven. Yeah. And then I was there for about three years. And then I came back in 2011, and then I left. Right on. After three years, and then I came back again. What What was the bouncing for? Um, well, I'm a kind of bouncy person by yeah. nature in terms of just being raised quite... Is that, that sounds so weird saying bouncy person well, by nature, well, but, you know. <laughs> um, you know, nomadic. Sure. Uh, but I... Let's see. I left Nashville when I was eight, like when I graduated from high school, mm -hmm. and I stayed away for a good ten years. And then I came back to be um, a visiting art curator at Cheekwood for six months, and ended up staying for 
three years, and then I moved to Minnesota for a graduate program for three years, and then I came back. So what I mean, when you came back, like what was, what was it like when you left, and what was it like to come back after that stint of time? Um, so when I left in two thousand and one, yeah, it was. I mean, being a teenager in Nashville, it kind of felt like the whole city was just like ours to do whatever we wanted with. Mm. I mean, and we were. I kind of ran around with a really wild bunch. And it was just like, it was boring. It was kind of a boring city, but it was really weird at the same time. Um, mm. Like kids had just come out mm. several years prior to graduating from high school or maybe like seven years before it. But like the guy who wrote it had gone to Hillsboro. And so I hung out with like skateboarders and and just weirdos who kind of had a sense of pride in that movie having been written by a teenager who spent his, most of his teenage years in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Even though it was like a dead city, there was like this weirdness to it that I gravitated towards. So then when I left for 10 years and found weirder places and weirder people, when I came back in 2011, it was like starting to go into this mode of, you know, hyper gentrification that I guess you just moved here. Yeah, I moved here in February. Okay. Oh, this year. This year. Yeah, I'm very, very new. From where? From Portland, Maine, which has a very similar and interesting arc, though not size. Like in in the weeklies in Portland, you can read about the very start of people realizing what's happening around between 99 and 2001 Mm. of saying like, oh, like this, you know, this house uh, that sold for nothing a while ago is now selling for a lot. What does that mean? And then you see come 2010, it enters a whole new phase. And then you see in the past five years, it enters like a, a metastasized, you know, brain, like uh, stage four brain cancer uh, phase. Yeah, that's so when I moved back in 2011, I started seeing that it had really blown up quite a bit. But Wedgwood Houston, for example, wasn't at all what it is now. But mm. I sensed that was going to happen. So I started writing about Nashville while living here in a very kind of critical way. But there's also the highest concentration of people who love me in Nashville. So sure. there's this like, <laughs> you know, uh, love-hate relationship that I have with it. And I'm also just fascinated with the city. Um, so I started writing about Nashville and then got into this graduate program in Minnesota where they, you know, give you a stipend and... Mm-hmm. So I went there to to write this book about Nashville, and it took so many different turns. Like I, I changed my stance on it quite a few times. Like first, I wanted to just be like writing about how I knew this Nashville apocalypse was going to happen, yeah, almost like a in a sci-fi way. But then I got more down. I became more down to earth in the process because people are like critiquing your writing all the time. They're like, what's really going on here? And I realized that, like, okay, part of why I have this weird perspective on Nashville is because I was raised by two um, people from different countries, Mm -hmm. wildly different countries in uh, in a multilingual household. And the Nashville that I got to know growing up was largely one that was quite intolerant to that. And um, But also learning how people from other countries find their places in Nashville was interesting to me. So it's become more of us, of me trying to tell those stories or understand what has happened in that regard. And now we're at this fever pitch Mm. because, um, you know, Trump is our president Mm -hmm. and certain people who were xenophobic, maybe closet xenophobes are like more blatantly xenophobic because they feel like they can be 
there's a divisiveness. In, in Nashville, I think you can see a lot of this manifesting around this soccer stadium that's coming sure. because everyone will have different reasons as to why they don't want it to be there, want it to be there. But I definitely see there being um, a lot of the anti-soccer stadium uh, talk seems to be also stemming from a lot of like, we don't want this sports arena that caters to like a foreigner sport, mm -hmm. um, which is also my parents being from countries that love soccer, Ecuador and Latvia. <laughs> um, you know, that to me, that's representative of a Nashville that I'm more a part of. So when I hear people just going, you know, very anti the soccer stadium, I'm kind of hearing it as a form of, you know, xenophobia or or not or this disinterest in Nashville becoming like a diverse place. Sure. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. Like there it seems like not long ago, it was a lot easier to have a simple like we don't like this for X reason and then we don't like this for Y reason and that's the tension. Mm -hmm. And then it feels like everything lives in such uh, abstract layers all the time now that it's hard to like sort of, you know, you can find that you're very much on the same page as somebody else for entirely the wrong reasons. You know, I'm sure there are people who are who are for, you know, against the soccer stadium because of, of, of how exactly the investment is going to work or the city money. But then they find themselves on the uh, uh, side of, of uh, xenophobes. And then on the opposite end of that, you know, you, you, have, strange, you have strange bedfellows now it all is, the time. Yeah, <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. You're like, are we against this for the right? reasons you know, right. together <laughs> yeah i find that a lot in nashville where people are like agreeing on something together but like eyeing each other sure in that way that's like but why sure. why do you agree sure yeah What's I, your background with i this? saw that a lot in portland where i would be on the same side of someone and i was like i'm pretty sure we got to this for different reasons but this fight is ours for now and then we move to something else right we'll probably, we'll probably be opposed in some way exactly so, so i mean it's it's a couple of things have come up already that you've talked about that are interesting uh harmony current has come up at least on half of these interviews which i'm stoked okay. about and i didn't realize that uh i talked about this in my last interview with the the film critic jason sean that um that movie I mean, kids, when it came out for me was like, you know, it was the it was one of the first pieces of sort of like um, underground cinema that was above super above ground, you know. And so yeah. if you were in, if you were from rural Maine like I was, it was your first exposure to to being like, oh, like an art house approach is a thing that people do, and that was a rabbit hole, yeah, you know. And then to like end up here where it clearly has affected anyone who's interesting in one way or another. <laughs> Right, 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 right. Yeah, it's fascinating. Exactly. Uh, what what was that? What did that mean for you? As you talked about that as a bit with the, with the kids who were who were skateboarders and stuff. But what did that mean for you when that came out and you were you were a kid here? Yeah. So the weird thing was, I was living in Hawaii for my seventh grade year, mm. and we were going to come back to Nashville. My dad was a professor, and so that's part of why we were able to move around quite a bit, but always come back to Nashville because he was at. Vanderbilt. And so kids came out in Hawaii. I remember seeing it at all the movies. Like, you know, it was like there on the awning kids. Right. And um, so I saw it <laughs> somehow. And because um, I hung out with skateboarders there, too. And mm -hmm. then when I saw it, I did not know it had been written by a guy who went to high school in Nashville. But when I moved back, I learned that quickly. And it became this, even though that movie is 
pretty fucked up and the mm. things that happen in it are not the kind of things that kids like should aspire to necessarily at all but I had a source of pride as though okay my city's kind of cool like if this story can be told here in such a raw way um then maybe I'm in the right place like maybe I will meet my people here right. which sounds so strange cuz I you know I don't want to meet um assholes who <laughs> you know whatever but um but at the same time there was a sort of ethos mm. and I think what I liked about it was there was a more open experimental nature that's shown in that film that I thought, okay, maybe it's here too. And I think it was here um, in a way, uh, but it's gone. Like whatever that was, that weirdness is completely gone now. Right. What does that mean for you as someone I'm sure – you know, who found pride in that early on and, and interest in, or at least your, you know, what felt like your people with the people who that movie resonated with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like, I feel like all these conversations about like what Nashville is, what Nashville was, same with any city that's this is happening to, and it's many, many cities at Nashville, it's happening at like an accelerated level for sure. Yeah. But, but what, as a as a as someone who creates, as someone who's a writer, as someone who who you know, I bet you need a little weird DNA in you in order to do the stuff that you do. Like, what does it represent just beyond like rents rents are of you know out of control? Um, it's it, it's it's weird. The, the corporate restaurants are terrible. Like what like you mm-hmm. know, there are very easy low hanging fruits to to point to. But like, yeah. what are the ones that get you in your heart? Well. So I'm going to bring up a specific example. Yesterday I was going to dinner in um, Inglewood, and that whole section where Fond Object, the record story, used to oh, exist, it's just been, it's gone. Sure. And it's easy to imagine what will go there. Mm. So what it means to me, and it, it does kind of tie into some of that low-hanging fruit, but those places that were, that I thought made the city kind of interesting and have a unique character, they're just they are all disappearing and there's some that are holding strong like grimies and mm. and so on but the at the rate that they keep disappearing the more i think the city's just losing its personality and then my brain kind of goes into that more like sci-fi apocalypse of nashville mentality you know mentality where i think one day this is the when this city falls <laughs> mm. and bear with me i've been watching game of thrones so i'm kind of sure, thinking sure, sure. along those lines too <laughs> Um, there won't be much left of its like heart anyway. Mm. Um, to me, it's just becoming more and more plastic and devoid of spirit that I love finding in cities, but that is disappearing for me here. And I know for others, it's not necessarily the case. You're new to Nashville and you're getting mm. to getting to know it on a different in a different way than I have gotten to know it. But yeah, it's like that recognizable sort of friend that I saw in the city yeah. at moments just ke- keeps disappearing more and more. It's like the giving tree or something. <laughs> well, that's why, I mean, it's why I left Portland is that I didn't, my friend wasn't in the city anymore. And I was like, I need to go, I need to go to another place that obviously has its own baggage, but it's not my baggage. And right. I can go be in a place that doesn't have my baggage. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Or doesn't, or I'm not mourning the loss of that friend. And, and that's, and, you know, I was just talking with a friend of mine about something entirely different. And I think that, the sci-fi parallels are never 
far away if they're far at all. Where, for example, like we, you know, the as far as I can tell, as far as I can see, the American opioid crisis is the zombie epidemic everyone's waiting for, right? It's like you have a greedy corporation, they mix the wrong batch, they deceive the wrong people, and we have an entire economic underclass. We mm-hmm. were able to, they through that, there's a massive redistribution of wealth. A lot of people end up dying. It's a huge, it is exactly the the paradigm for the zombie apocalypse story i mean it's exa- it's exactly it and it just spreads it spreads and spreads and spreads yeah and so i don't think that you know when you when you look around and it's almost like you know your city sort of looks the same but it doesn't have the zhuzh, you know that you mm-hmm. remember that is a, that is a science fiction scenario it, yeah i think so too i and i keep seeing it through that lens as a result yeah. But, you know, I lived in New Orleans, which is, to me, quite different, you know, going through its own strange development. But I feel like I still sense the spirit of New Orleans when I'm there. Yeah. But then again, I, there are so many people there who'd be like, New Orleans is gone now. It's no longer what it ever was. So it is interesting to find it. You know, I'll see it in one city and, and have a palpable reaction and then I'll go to another place and think like, oh, this place has a lot going on sure. and I can feel this energy. But another person would say like, no, what you're feeling is some injection of something else. It's not what I knew. It's not yeah. the thing that I have a relationship with. Right. So. And that's a two like that's like a two way relationship. Right. Is that it's like a lot of what makes a city a city is the relationships that everyone holds with it and sort of like that is like that is a huge it's like a contract in one way or another and right. the personality is formed not just by what by what like the city uh sort of projects but like how people receive it and what their relationship is with it and as that as the kind as the profile of person changes that resonates with the city that added that 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 character is going to change as well i mean the the primary question we've we've asked in portland over and over and over with the the gentrification that happens there is who is the city for now Mm -hmm. and if the city is solely um making possible a kind of experience at a kind of cost at a kind of at a at a you know a um when people are complaining about noise and volume after 7 p.m. and like their venues closing, all that stuff. In in the cool things that people are shutting down in order to be comfortable in the city go away, who will want to be in the city? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you're a writer. Y- yeah. <laughs> How'd you, how 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 did that happen? How did that come about? Becoming a writer? Yeah. Mm, it started out actually by writing letters to my only grandparent mm. that I had, that I'd known. Um, the rest were dead by the time I was born. Um, and she lived in Australia. <laughs> and she, But she was a Russian immigrant living in Australia. And I'm in Nashville with my Russian Latvian dad telling mm. me to write letters to my grandmother. <laughs> but the thing was... I would write these letters and he'd want to read them. Right. Um, And he had a whole thing for literature and philosophy. He'd read them and tell me the content basically sucked. I mean, but I was like eight, you know, and he's like, this is boring. It's superficial. You're not really digging deep. So in writing in being like, okay, what does it mean to write a real letter? Um, And trying to write these letters to her, telling her about my life. I started becoming a a real writer, I guess. Mm. And he started saying like, oh, something's happening. So he was very encouraging of this. And then it grew and grew and grew. Writing's my way of processing everything that happens around me. Then it becomes also a form of communication. Then I also learned ways to make money with it. 
So within that whole, um, the different ways writing has been a part of my life, whether it's for the form of as a form of therapy or processing or writing for somebody else um, or writing for myself, um, like this book about Nashville is kind of that's my project. It's not done as a contract with anyone else. Um, these are the myriad of forms that writing exists in me, but it's the thing I can't quit doing. It's mm-hmm. like I have to to write. If I don't, I feel like I'm not really living or something. I guess right. it's the same for other artists. What is and, and tell me tell me about about when you say it's a book about Nashville. I know that that's a loaded that that's a loaded <laughs> statement. <laughs> so what what is it? So I my elevator pitch of sorts, not yeah. that I'm pitching it really, but is that it is a collection of essays about immigrant histories of Nashville. So getting to see Nashville more through the lens of people who are not so from Nashville. Mm-hmm. I feel like the story of Nashville that people are greeted with when they first start kind of looking at the city is a very dominant Southern story, this Athens of the South, a very mythological tale, the country music scene. You know, all the things that happened here that made Nashville kind of like what it's known at first glance. But then behind it, there are these other stories that um, that I just don't come across that often. And so I'm trying to put them all together and exploring them as making it obvious that I'm I'm the person there that's trying to get to know, like, why does the largest Kurdish community exist in Nashville, Tennessee? Mm. What happened in the 70s and what changed in the 80s? What are the politics that took place that shifted the direction of immigration and community building here? Why was my mom treated so poorly at one point in her life for having a Spanish accent? And then five years later, people are like, I love your accent. You know, Mm -hmm. what is that shift? What were the things going on that made that happen? So if I can pull some threads to make sense out of it with this book... That would be great, but <laughs> you never know what's going to happen with a book. <laughs> yeah, the the it's so fascinating. Like I'm becoming more, you know, I, I've listened to to Mark Maron's WTF for a decade, for mm-hmm. as long as it's been on, and I always in my mind gave him shit for only, and he always he's like, I've tried to have black comedians on here, and it's I've had a really hard time getting them on, and like I've always been like, how hard? Like, don't people want to be on your podcast that you're that you're, you're helping? I thought I I thought that that was that was a cop out, right? And and I'm sure it is to a large extent, but you start to become aware of how much a, a geographical or even just like a professional narrative perpetuates itself mm-hmm. because like with Nashville in particular, I've tried to be as, as conscious as possible about being like, I don't want to tell an exclusively like white country story. Like how do we, how do we do that? And even you start to realize that like, even in your outreach of trying to reach out and say like, Hey, I'm trying to tell this story. Are you interested in being a part of it? Or, or, or I've reached out to those or like, um, um, you know, like a uh, black history and black music, et cetera, groups. And I think that there's like an immediate, totally understandable skepticism towards being like, are you sure that this is the part of the story that you want in here? Yeah. You know what I mean? And 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 it's it, it's a very good task to try to have to overcome. And that's sort of, uh, you know, wanting to, to, to broaden that history of what Nashville's identity is almost against its will because it's so anchored in saying that it's mm-hmm. like a very specific kind of story. But you realize that that's almost a thing that plays against you in one way or another if you're trying to tell the Nashville story because people are saying, oh, you're telling the Nashville story? Um, um, I know, I know what you're trying to say, and it sounds like in your case, you're like, no, 
Yeah, it's very true. No, I'm not trying to tell that story. Yeah. <laughs> so what? So why? Why with the Kurdish population in particular? Why is it such a substantial population? I am about to find out. Ramadan's happening, mm. and there's a man that I really want to talk to um, named Sherzad Tayar, mm. and he um, started these tours of, when I was not even living here, he would take people on tours of Nash, the Kurdish Nashville community. They no longer happen, but I want to talk to him about his experience growing up here and why he wanted to become sort of the ambassador to the Kurdish community. Yeah. Um, but I... From what I understand, it was in the 70s. There was a huge group of immigrants, including my father, but through a very different channel, who moved to Nashville. There was just a surge of of immigrants moving here. Um, There seemed to be like some kind of programs set in place in Nashville to be more inclusive of of immigrants. Um, And then Nolensville Road kind of just became that place that when especially not people who have no immigrant background at all. And even people who do, they'll be like, go to Nolensville Road if you want to see all the different countries that are represented in right. Nashville and go eat some of that food. Um, but yeah, the I will know the answer to that question sure. after I'm meeting with him on June 6th, what, because then he we can, because I was like, let's get a cup of coffee. Um, and that's when he's going to be able to drink coffee and eat something with me because he's fasting right yeah. now. And which I'm like, that's great. This is a part of that story. Um, and so I want to learn more about it. And I feel like I didn't, as a kid, I didn't interact with the Kurdish community, but you know, over it became this huge population of, of Kurds moved here and sure. stayed here and kept growing and growing. Um, so I have yet to, to find the answer. But that's what you're looking like that's the sort of thing you're looking for. You're not looking yes. to tell like the you're not looking to augment an existing narrative. You're looking to no. bro- broaden a narrative. Yes. Yeah. And is that does that come from what's I mean I I could make assumptions about what that comes from but like why why is that something you're hungry to do? It, it sounds challenging. <laughs> and it sounds like <laughs> it sounds like people don't necessarily always want to be challenged. Like, why is that what you're interested in doing? Um, I suppose because it started out, this project started out as a critique of Nashville. Mm-hmm. And anytime, and it wasn't like I wanted to just talk about how horrible Nashville was, but I was noticing the way things were being done, say, in the art community. And as you dig into finding out why things are the way they are, you just get closer and closer to these stories that are kind of buried. And mm-hmm. I'm interested in finding those and exposing them and for whatever they are, because I've had experiences where I look for a story somewhere and I get there and it is not at all what I thought it was going to be. But there is some sort of um, satisfaction that I receive from just displaying the story as it is, even if it ends up being a very anticlimactic story in a way then it's just like, well, this is it. This is the best way I can describe it and structure it. And here we go. Um, yeah. And I, I'm, I'm interested in sort of subverting expectations, too, just as someone who does devour a lot of literature and seeing the way other writers can can mess with your expectation of what will happen in, an, in a novel, in an essay, in a whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lot of admiration for that. When people can sort of, when writers can show you something and it's not at all what you expected and then you walk away and you think, huh. Like, that's not what I was gearing up for. My adrenaline rush for the story about this adventure someone went on in a jungle, like, didn't end up being what I thought it was going to be. But I like 
the way I feel after reading it. Like right. it's it feels more human in a way, less about escapism and more about, um, I don't know, understanding something for what it really is. Yeah, and it seems like to some extent, like any time we're any time we're existentially challenged, like we're really sort of we're we're better poised to like unpack some unpack pieces of ourselves that mm. we that we're not you know that are not otherwise always evident. Right. And that's definitely a part of it, too. Yeah. And being a writer is, like, is hilarious because, like, it's, <laughs> like, you sort of, it's, like, psychological warfare that's also, like, uh, nourishing. <laughs> I know. It's true. I mean, it is a pretty narcissistic form. <laughs> totally. <laughs> <You know? laughs> totally. But also, I mean, it's, but it's hard. It's a narcissistic form that's hard. It's terrifying. Yeah. 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 When you say terrifying, what do you mean? Well, that part where you start that psychological warfare you enter into, the things that you sort of learn about yourself and the directions you're taking, and that can be hard to face. Like you're you're really looking at yourself in that process in a way where you're seeing the sides of yourself that are not that great that you would not list on a dating profile or yeah. something you know <laughs> exactly um, like it's gonna take at least three dates for the, the for, for some to, of the stuff to start exactly. leaking out yeah <laughs> totally. so uh, how else are you involved in the in the uh, community of writers and artists in in this town um yeah i used to be way more involved with the visual art community i wrote about it for the scene i had been a curator i helped open one gallery and helped open a certain project space in Wedgwood, Houston. Um, and I was participating with artists and filmmakers at various levels, whether it was just giving them feedback or trying to collaborate with them on things. Um, now I no longer really do any art criticism about things in Nashville. Well, for one, there's really not much space for that anymore. Um, a good friend of mine is the one and only art critic for the Tennessean. And right. they only let her put out, I think, four stories a month. Um, and that's a recent thing. And the scene is no matter, like it, it's no longer what it was when I mm. wrote for it. It's a different, um, it's a different newspaper or weekly now. And I actually love the form of the weekly. And I think they're doing a great job with what they have, but mm. it used to have just so much more, um, you know, like I'm thinking about the Jim Ridley days when, I don't know if you've heard of no, him. No, tell but, me, please. Oh, my God. Jim Ridley. So he was one of those characters that made me feel like so fondly towards Nashville. Mm -hmm. And he worked as an editor at the Nashville scene for a long time. But he was a film reviewer. He loved film. And so I would run into him at the Bell Court. And I remember one time we both saw a movie separately. Um, it was like a four hour movie, about, like Portuguese film that was basically the same uh, story being told over and over again with different actors and when we got out he was like I thought that was amazing and I'm like me too mm. and he just had a, he had so much patience to like tug out the weirdness that was Nashville expose it and and then like comment on it yeah he was just one of my favorite kind of writer editors out there and now there's a collection of his film reviews in a book form and he died a couple years ago mm. um but I just lost my thread because I went to Jim Ridley land, but uh, oh yeah, you were. I mean, but you were you were talking about how how there's less of a space the, than than there has been. Yeah, definitely for writing. It mm. Seems like there's more art spaces opening up, but a lot still the same conversation that was happening years ago. It's like, well, there's like a frustration sure. um, with how far the art community here can go. What it's it's kind of limited. Um, I taught it. Watkins as well so I've had that 
ability to see what art students like how they felt about Nashville and that's that was interesting it's like another perspective um into this whole swirl that is Nashville and it's definitely not one where people are like man I'm in the right city you know it's it's one that's very frustrated yeah. for people in that community in the creative realm I think it's totally different for musicians mm. um but even there they have some of their own frustrations too yeah yeah, I mean, it, it, part of the appeal, like I said, part of the appeal to me was to get out of get out of my own city and baggage. But part of the appeal to me was coming to a place to be a creative person who wasn't a musician in a place that is like built for musicians. Yeah, and like I can imagine growing up in it, it is frustrating to to be that and to sort of not see your identity in that. But as an as a person who is older than a young person, um, I I was like, oh, like what an opportunity to like go to a place that has like theoretical infrastructure to support these things, but a total disinterest to support them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so that's like when you get older, like it's like it's easier to see like how that system could potentially be subverted. But it's mm-hmm. but being young and feeling unseen as an as a as a creative person can be, you know, uh, both like a fertile experience and a, and a totally disheartening experience. Yeah, it's very true. And I feel like this matter of age is a big thing, too. Like, I'm in my late 30s now, and I, ha- I don't have the energy for certain things right. that I used to have. Right. Um, and I don't have discussions with people the way I used to. Mm. I think I used to have a sense of, like, revolutionary spirit. Sure. That's not really there anymore. I'm more just like standing on the sidelines kind of watching Mm. and then still going to the places that sort of feed my soul a bit here, but often walk away just sort of feeling like this relationship sort of over. Like I feel like I'm in this kind of dead relationship with Nashville, (laughs) but I'm just comfortable in it or something. (laughs) Well, that's I mean, that's I'm I'm glad you're being sort of open and honest about that, because for me, like I really wanted to have an opportunity to have for me. This was like a matter of having really a postmodern conversation with my city. And I did it by through looking at the city. Yeah. <laughs> and to get to know the city better because it's, it's, it, there's no better way than through conversation. But also, I was hoping that, like, you know, I find that when there's no longer a commercial avenue for thoughtful conversations and critical conversations, what ends up filling that void is like booster conversations. It's like Nashville is awesome. You can come down and you can open your like farm to table restaurant and you can have $16 cocktails and you can have truffle fries and like everything's fucking great. (laughs) You can make a shitload of money and that's awesome. And I was really like hoping to like at least have a record of people talking about like what that transition really looks like. <laughs> right. And I've been listening to your podcast and you're doing that. Oh, thank you so much. Well, thank you for coming on and thanks for sharing your story. My pleasure. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Nashville Demystified. I'm Alex Steed again. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Uh, thanks to Jesse LaFontaine for all things related to sound post production. All of the music in this episode is by all sorts of folks. You can find out more on our website. Hey, uh, every episode has a show specific illustration provided by my longtime friend Tim Burns. Uh, they're pretty great, so you can check them out again on the website and on social. Follow us in all of the places, subscribe, and do all that. It really does help out what we do. Thanks again for everything. Nashville Demystified is presented by Knack Factory and we own this town.